I'm Kendall Gilding and this is My 30 Minutes with Rod Young. If you don't know his name, maybe you'll recognise his voice and that's because Rod has been on TVs in Queensland homes for more than three decades. His distinguishable moustache and effortless style make him impossible to forget and it's easy to see why he's been one of the country's longest newsreaders. He started his career in radio, eventually scoring a news presenting gig with ABC Brisbane before making the switch to Channel 7. Nowadays, you'll find him in his hometown, The Gold Coast, reading Seven News on weeknights. I was so nervous before this interview, and that's not because Rod's intimidating, but because he's someone I've respected and admired my entire career. I hope you enjoy My 30 Minutes with Rod Young. Rodney Young, thank you so much for catching up. It's always great to be in the presence of the Mo. <laughs> you are so funny. You know, you could have a career as a comedian, <laughs> for goodness sake. Do you ever think about shaving that thing off? No. Never? No. Have you ever? No. Never? No. When did you grow a moustache? Uh, Christmas time, 1968. How old would you have been? Oh, I wouldn't have been very old. <laughs> I was going to say. I, was, I, I had left school. I did senior in 1968, as they used to call it. Christmas holidays. I thought, no, I want to have a moustache. So I just, I never ever shaved the top lip ever really? after. Really? Mm. It's phenomenal. Look, <laughs> I want to talk to you about this thing, and I don't even really know how to describe it. So I'm going to call mm. it the rod effect. Oh, really? Okay. Okay. So I've seen you come into work. Obviously, you're on the Gold Coast now. Mm. And whenever you maybe pop back into the Brisbane office, mm. when you come into the building, the whole place seems to light up. Everyone is so happy to see you. You've just got this really warm presence. You're incredibly funny. And it really actually shifts the atmosphere in there. That kind of morale boost that you have is really invaluable. Is that something you've intentionally worked at? No, it's not. I mean, I'm I'm thrilled that, that you would perceive me in that way. I've never really thought of that particularly. But it all I can think of is if it's true, maybe it's because I don't necessarily take things as seriously as a lot of the other boys and girls in the room might be. They, they have to be because they're working hard at their work. And in a sense, I'm a little bit cushioned, you know, a little bit cocooned, maybe a little bit protected from the serious business of the day. Maybe that's it. I mean, I don't know. Um, I do like most of the people, not all of them, <laughs> that are there. Um, and uh, I think it's mutual. So I think that's, that's possibly the reason. You have such a serious on-air presence. Mm. As a newsreader, you have to. But mm. I think a lot of people would be surprised to find that you are incredibly funny. You'd have to be one of the funniest people I know. Well, if you said that to my wife, she would dispute it desperately, <laughs> probably. Um, but she doesn't find me very funny. Um, but, oh, look, I, I think that's – it's not a trick. It's not an act. But uh, I've always interpreted the job that I did as a, okay, well, you have to go into newsreader mode. But you can still impart a little bit of humanity, a little bit of human warmth. Um, but I'm not going to sit there at the news desk delivering a news program and be trying to be smart and funny. I, I just don't think that's appropriate. So that would never come across really in that way. In the ad breaks, I remember watching you and you would be making jokes up until, you know, in the control room, the director is counting down the seconds, five, four, we're coming back from this ad break. And yep. you're still getting the punchline of your joke out with two seconds to go. And 
Some people well, might find that a bit nerve-wracking. I know some directors find it nerve-wracking. But oh, there was course, something about always. that that's, that softens the room and keeps it lighthearted and actually helps you to do the job, I yeah, find. I, I, that's how I feel too, exactly. And, I mean, on the rare occasions when I see you and let's say you're one of your earlier guests, Shane Webke, in your little interaction, I can imagine what might be going on prior to that because – yeah, that's just a way of defusing potential, you know, uptightness, for want of a better word. You know, exactly what you say. But, you know, I must say I'm intrigued to think that you think I tell jokes because, in <laughs> fact, I don't tell jokes. I can't remember them. I get told things. It's in one ear and out the other. But I just try and be – I try and relate to the people and talk about stuff that, you know, how they are or how I am or what's happened and – you know, depending on how you deliver those kinds of things, it can be perceived in a very comedic way. And I think that's what's happened with me. I, I, you know, I've never intentionally told jokes, I promise. You're underestimating it, but you definitely are very funny. I think that's a style I have personally um, maybe adapted to a little bit as well because I mm -hmm. like to keep spirits high in ad breaks. It's yeah. really important yeah, for yeah. me. Mm -hmm. And the news can be really grim at times. Absolutely. So ad breaks for me are that let's unwind, let's chat, let's try and, yeah, keep spirits high. Yeah. And then, but I always, as you say, you snap into a serious mode. And I, mm. I think all of us can do that yeah. in a second. Yeah. Well, you've got to, haven't you? That's part of the deal. I wouldn't like you too much if you were just carried on like an idiot all Still the time. laughing mm. from the ad break mm. into the intro of the next story. Exactly. You probably don't remember this, but you've actually played a major role in two key moments of my career. The first was as a uni student. I have no idea why, but mm. QUT students often got to come up to the Channel 7 studios yeah. and yeah. do a tour. I was part of one of those groups. I barely paid attention at uni. I was really just trying to get through. Yeah. But I remember coming to Seven and it was a really important experience for me because it really cemented that I wanted to do television. Okay. And our tour guide was you. Oh, my Lord. Did you do a lot of that? Uh, only if they paid me exceptionally well. <laughs> um, uh, well, no, I didn't. Uh, but, I mean, obviously that would happen. I don't know what's happening at, up on the mountain at the moment, but um, that would happen from time to time, even with groups of school children, little kids, as well as big kids like you. I, you know, I, I can't remember how many times I would have done that, but, and it would always happen. Kay and I, Kay McGrath, who, you know, my television wife, we would alternate the up, what we call the update day. So, you know, that grind of the updates through, through the day. So, and I don't know whether it was because they took pity on me because of the drive from down here to there. I don't know. But we'd have a late start and an early start. And on the early start, that's when you would come in. I don't know whether you remember what time of the day you came in, but probably it could have been through the afternoon. I don't know. But yes, I did that a bit. God, that was a long answer, wasn't it? I'll never forget, you always wore black jeans mm -hmm. with your shirt, mm -hmm. tie mm -hmm. and suit jacket. Mm -hmm. And it's funny because it's not that big of a deal, but I remember seeing you and thinking, how cool, he's always got jeans underneath the desk. And uh -huh. you do. To this uh -huh. day, do you still wear jeans Absolutely. every day? Absolutely. Levi Strauss, black jeans. <laughs> black, yeah. always black. Straight leg black jeans. The second sort of moment in my career mm. that you played a huge role in was the first time I ever stepped foot in the Brisbane 7 News studio. Yeah. I was doing the weather. Right. And it was a Sunday night in October 2014. Right. And you and Kay McGrath were reading the bulletin. Mm -hmm. And you both gave me really warm words of encouragement before the show, which I found incredibly endearing because I was very young. 
And to be able to go down there with you guys just blew my mind. Right. But there was, there's just no arrogance, no showiness with the two of you. You're always warm and generous in that way. And I didn't faint on air, which was, uh, you know, it was a good very night. Very good. I, I did work with somebody once who did do that. Not when I was with them, but I was watching at home. It can be very funny, but, you know, potentially horrible too. With those words of encouragement, is it something you consider an important part of your role to try and spur on young journalists, young presenters? You know, I, I think probably Kay McGrath would immediately say yes, that she would say that that's one of the things that she thought she should do. Uh, I, From my point of view, I think I used to think, oh, I just remember how this used to be when I was starting and how deeply nerve-wracking really, it used to be. And so I suppose what I do is I think, oh, dear, this poor person's just starting, first time, whatever. And, uh, you know, let's just have a nice chat and come on, it's going to be fine. You can do this. Of course you can do it. So that would have been my, would have been my motivation on the day, which was a, you know, a, a true and honest one. I wasn't putting on an act to you. Kay, but, Kay yeah. said to me, just remember, we're not curing cancer. Yeah. Which seems blunt, but it was very true and you need that level of perspective. Live TV is tough because what happens live is what happens. You don't get to rewind and try it again. Uh, but it's true. We're yeah. not saving lives no. and we're delivering information. So it was really great perspective hmm. for me. Not rocket science, exactly. No. You speak of Kay in such an endearing way, even still. You called her your work wife. You guys worked alongside each other for 14 years. It was a very special partnership why did the two of you work so well together? Well, it's like when people, you know, when I talk about people who have relationships just in the real world, you know, the normal world, um, I have this funny thing where I think, I think when people get together, they should be roughly the same age. And I know that sounds boring. Kay's younger than I am, of course, and she will watch this and be very glad that I said that, but it's true. Um, um, but we're of a similar generation. So we had a, a similar sort of sense of humour. And we're both June babies, which means we're cancer people, in inverted commas, astrologically speaking. And uh, not that I pay a lot of attention to that, but uh, maybe there was a little bit of a, a connection on that level as well. But she's a warm and caring person. And while she was, as I say, my TV wife and very, very professional, she kind of looked after me a bit too, I think, you know, because she realised that when I came from the ABC to Channel 7 in... Um, uh, 2002, uh, that I was probably a fish out of water. Um, I say now jokingly, but sadly it's true, I'm a dinosaur and you know what happened to the dinosaurs. Um, but so I, I very early on worked out that um, uh, I didn't have a plan for, what, for how my life unfolded, but I worked out that uh, I would do that news reading job because I was always as a young child, you know, I spoke early and I, I was an avid reader. I read from an early age and I was a, and I also had the thing where I could not only understand pretty quickly, you know, the written word, especially if it was written with punctuation, which it's not anymore. Um, I, I was able to just sort of Im, to impart the, the proper sense of the written word vocally, you know, orally. And so I figured, well, that's what I can do. I don't want to be a reporter, but I can do that job. And, of course, in the years that I was at the ABC, that's, that's what was required. It was like in the old economic terms, you know, division of labour and specialisation. It's, it's like the, you know, the, 
the production line, you know, one person could do that one thing and do it well and the other person do something else. And so that's, that's how I approached it. And so when I got to seven, it was, well, how you find it now, you know, you're multidextrous. Am I? I think that's the word <laughs> they use. Kendall, I mean, you go out, you do stories. I see your stories, but you sit there in the studio every afternoon and you read the news and you, you know, do an interview or do all the things that you do. And um, also you're probably reasonably adept with computers. My goodness me, I still have trouble using the, the mobile phone. Uh, anyway, that is another story, isn't it? But so Kay looked after me on that level as well. So that was a good thing. And we got on well. You we say a... she looked after you. Mm. I remember watching you every afternoon make her a cup of tea. Uh, I wouldn't say every afternoon, but that was one of the one of the rituals, I suppose. It yeah. was so cute. Yeah. Every afternoon <laughs> it was tea time for the two of you. Well, and I think it was like watching a married well, couple. Yeah. yeah, well, we were your parents, weren't we? No. <laughs> <laughs> Look, you're known for saying that as a newsreader, mm. your job is to leave the viewer informed but not alarmed. Mm. And I spoke to one of our mutual colleagues. He's been in TV for 40 years. Mm. He's given plenty of big name stars their first breaks back in the day. He's seen a lot of different presenters, a lot of different talent. And I asked him why he thinks you're so good at your job. And he mm. said, anyone can read a script, but it's getting people to listen. And he's got that ability do you feel that sense of gravitas when you do your job? I, I guess, like I said a bit before, I don't really think of it in those terms with what I do. It's just that that's what I think is required. I, I, I'm, I'm just imparting information. And I, I guess I give myself, you know, as a, as, a, as a journalist, as a reporter and as a newsreader, you, you kind of come to it from both sides. My frame of mind is, well, a team of professional people have gone out, they've found out this information, it's true and correct and fair, and therefore I can deliver it with the confidence that what I'm saying is, is, is true. I'm giving some information out. It's one of the things. I mean, I'm not making it up and I'm not even trying to suggest to somebody who's watching or listening that they should have an opinion about it, but hey, consider this stuff and come up with your own decision on it. But um, so I try to, that's a sort of a state of mind I've, I've been in with it for a long, long time. So I don't really think about it as in, well, I've got to really give this some, some weight. No, I just, it seems to come sort of naturally. Oh, that sounds self-conscious no. and egotistical, doesn't no, it? But not you know at all. what I mean. It's wonderful because few people actually find what they're good at and get to have a career out of it. And it's amazing that at a young age you did realise that because you love to read and you were actually a great communicator, it, it, the dots joined for you very early on. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess, so. I, I, look, I, it's one of those funny things, you know, we were talking earlier in one of our exchanges about I, I never had a plan. So in that sense, you know, like an old hippie, which was the 60s generation that I grew up in really, I kind of went along with the flow and let things take me in a certain direction. So I didn't have a plan. I didn't have a goal. And I never saw myself as being, um, you know, a television newsreader, let's put it that way. It kind of circumstances conspired and that's what happened for me. And I think probably for me, luckily, they did. You grew up on the Gold Coast and I've heard some great stories about other jobs you had before you did get into any form of media, mm -hmm. worked at a Pizza Hut. Who told you this? 
I can't tell you. <laughs> um, at Kira? Uh, well, the, the, the training day was that wonderful uh, building at Kira, which is under debate at the moment about what's going to happen with it. But I spent most of my Pizza Hut days at Miami, near where former Premier uh, Anna Bly went to school, you know, across the road, across the highway there. Yeah, but I didn't do that for long. I realised that was not going to be the thing for me. <laughs> you spent some time in London. I heard you worked at a, a sandwich bar when uh -huh. you were over there. Or a toasty bar, it was a called. A toasty bar. Mm. Mm. Um, yeah, well, we were. look, um, as you say, I've done many things. These things, they're not in, that's, they're not in uh, a sort of historic order. But um, Karen and I went travelling. My dear wife, Karen, who puts up with a lot from me. Um, <laughs> and... We initially went to America and we'd budgeted for a, a fairly long time, in America, three months in America. But that was partly because when she was a schoolgirl, she um, was, I forget the name of it now, but anyway, she became an exchange student and she lived with an American family that she kept in touch with. And so we went, we visited them and we did all sorts of things. And um, coming towards the end of our time there, we saw a really cheap flight to London from Boston, where we happened to be at. And we thought, oh, well, let's just let's do that. It's a lot closer to get over to Boston than going back home and whatever. So we ended up being in, in London for nearly a year. And uh, yeah, I wasn't meant to be uh, able to work. She could work. She, got a, she was an exceptionally fast typist and she got work doing that. I mean, she was a Kelly girl. And I worked at the Toasty Bar on Queensway. And uh, that was an interesting time. Talk to me about Karen. You've been you met in uni. Mm. I heard in the library mm. at UQ. Yes, when you were eighteen and got married, sort of maybe seven years after you started dating. So you've been married a pretty long time, oh. which is amazing. What's the secret to that? Mm -hmm. Goodness me. Um, yeah, we got to, we got together in nineteen seventy one, and we got married in nineteen seventy eight. Um, we just liked each other. Um, and I, I always laugh when we're presenting stories, you know, how we have these very nice and heartwarming and true stories about a very, very old couple, maybe at a nursing home or whatever, and, and they've just had their 50th or 60th or whatever, a massive wedding anniversary. And the dear person, invariably the husband, says, we've never had a crossword. We've... We, we, and I, and I, I, yeah, exactly your reaction. I start laughing and thinking, well, my goodness me, I, I don't know whether it's uh, age has set in and, you know, deflected some memories, but who can live a long life with anyone and not have a crossword? So we have plenty of those, but we seem to, I think, you know, we seem to be able to work through them, solve the issues and keep on going. Plus we've had three great children and, uh, and I believe, for me, that's one of the great successes for me in, in my life. Uh, you know, we're all a work in progress, and they still certainly are, but uh, they're going along well at the moment, and I'm very pleased about that. And that's, um, you know, that's part of that whole cement of our relationship. You touch on the kids being one of the great successes of your life. Mm. Are you able to define success? No, because I think... Uh, that's not the answer you wanted from me, perhaps. But I, look, I think it—I think it's—it is different for many, many people. You know, some people think, okay, well, if I earn a lot of money or become a millionaire, that'll be successful. If I uh, realise my my inherent potential, that's successful. Uh, I 
I don't know. Like I was referring to before, I never had a plan. I never had a goal. Some people would say, well, if you have a plan and you have a goal and you achieve that, that's successful. But I think I've just been lucky uh, to, I don't know, to have done what I've done and uh, to get to the point that I've got to with it all. Well, my next question was going to be, why do you think you've been so successful, not just in your career, but Mm. as a husband and a family man, but in a way you've almost answered that by saying, perhaps you think you're lucky. Yeah, I think that's a good, a goodly part of it. And also, especially in in a relationship, in a marriage, you've got to be able to compromise, which I do find difficult to do at times. I think you do too. Um, Why would I say that, Kendall? Um, (laughs) But, but it's true, isn't it? You, uh, you know, you have to, you have to pull back on your on your line from time to time because, oh, well, that's not going to work out. Yeah, compromise and luck, I think. Speak- and some basic ability probably in yeah. there somewhere. Absolutely. Speaking of that level of compromise, mm. you actually spent some time as a house husband and this was sort of by just circumstances. Your mm. wife, Karen, was a reporter mm. as well. She's worked at networks, she's gone on to do other freelance mm. work, works on docu-series, different things like mm. that. But there was a time where she'd be gone in the morning and you would read the news of an evening. So you actually got the kids ready for school. You polished their shoes, packed their lunches, got them dressed. And yeah. this was really at a time probably when that kind of equality wasn't in vogue yet. And, you know, what was that time for, for you like as a father, getting such quality time with your kids? Yeah, I didn't really see it as quality time at the time in the moment. Um, I was actually quite stressed by it all. I never, ever felt that I could do that properly enough or well enough. And, for example, with our first child, our son, we've got a son and two daughters, um, I stayed at home for two years, the first two years of his life. I was just at home. And... uh, Karen, and I think it was absolutely correct, and I concurred with it, totally believed in the fact that these children should be breastfed, but she was working. And so she would express the milk and I'd have it in the fridge and she'd go out and do a reporting job and I'd be at home with the male child who was a big, strong, healthy boy and if he was asleep, good, and but when he woke up, he'd be hungry. He'd, he'd want to be fed straight away. Well... And I'd look at the watch and I'd seen, said goodbye to Karen, you know, sometime before and she'd gone out with the cameraman and I thought, oh, yes, well, she should be home in about 10 minutes. Oh, I'll be okay. I'll rock the baby. Never worked. And so, and, you know, the, the milk was in the fridge in specially labelled jars and, you know, you've got, to, you've got to reheat that in the correct way and then you would make sure it's the right temperature. And uh, so I'd go through that process with a crying baby and then sit down on the couch and start feeding the baby the bottle of very precious Karen's milk and she'd walk in the door. <laughs> and so, of course, well, that's gone and now she would take over. But I, I felt stressed, in other words. Um, not so much with each child, and I hope this will apply to you too. I'm, I don't know what your plans are in that regard, but I think that it gets easier each time, each each child. Because, you know, it's not such a new thing. You're used to it, you've got some routines, you figure you can do it. First that is good to scary. hear because my husband looks after our little girl while I go to well, work. He's a broken man. I understand. <laughs> he's in the room. So oh, dear. Rod- I didn't realise it's dark Rod's- over there. Is that him? <laughs> Rod's joke is uh, intended for him to hear. Hmm. Speaking of your three children, so there's James, yes. Miriam and Jemima. Yes. 
I've actually spoken to your kids and asked them to weigh in on why they think you're successful. Well, in, in the build-up to this? Yeah. My goodness me, you're a sneaky It's girl. just one of the things I like to do because very few people want to admit their success and that's fine. Yeah. But you can't refute what other people think of you. And as you say, your children are always going to be one of your greatest achievements. So hearing what they have to say about you is always really wonderful. Mm. James gave me three words about you, but I want to focus on one of them, mm. which is distinguished. So Ooh. that means to be very successful, authoritative and commanding great respect, which is such a wonderful, wonderful way to be My described. Goodness. Do you think authority and respect are something that is earned over time or why would your son see you that way? Probably because I used to flog him when he was a little naughty child. <laughs> no, I'm joking, of course, Kendall. Um, I, I'm amazed that he would use that word, in fact. But, um, well, I mean, he was the one that I, you know, in, in his first two years of life, I was there all the time with him. And uh, we have a good relationship. And uh, he sees me for the real rod, you know, when I'm not tricking the world that I'm actually an okay guy. He sees me at home in the board shorts, not shaving. But, uh, but but there's a, I, I guess there's some sort of continuity with how I am as a person. You know, he sees that I, even though I can flare up, I, I'm what I call a slow burner. You know, so I, the, the it's like the gas water hot water system. There's a little pilot light in there, and it just keeps everything going. But if things get serious enough, eventually there'll be a cracking point, and woof, it'll go. But so but he's seen me probably on you know in each of those phases. But he can see that I can. I don't know, just maintain an evenness. Maybe that's to do with it. I don't know. I'm glad that he feels so positively about me. I'll share his other words with you okay. when we're off mic later. Miriam's okay. word that I wanted to focus on hmm. was profound. And the definition for profound wow. is, is multi-layered. So it's um, something of that's very great or intense, um, having or showing great knowledge or insight. And also another definition for it is like the deepest part of something, especially, say, the ocean. Mm. Profound. Do you I'm, feel I'm amazed, isn't it? Uh, well, firstly, I'm amazed that you contacted my offspring. Uh, <laughs> did you get their numbers from Karen? You know that I worked with Miriam at Nova. You know what? I would have forgotten that completely. <laughs> Kendall, forgive me. Forgive me. No, that wasn't in my on my radar. Um, Miriam thinks of me as profound. I, I, I am intrigued by these things and, and I'm receiving them very, very happily. I, Miriam I've always regarded as a very, she's a very soft person. She's a very warm and caring person. You know, she may put on a different persona out in the real world. She, you know, she's worked in radio for quite a long time now. And you know radio, it's, it's, not, it's a tough business. Um, and she's an aspiring actress. Uh, she has a wonderful partner. And dear girl, they wanted to get married just before this COVID thing started and there's all sorts of delays with that. Uh, I don't know. Again, I just think from time to time, you know, when perhaps a little girl, for example, gets upset, emotional about things, I was always just able to be very calm yet again, I suppose. Maybe I don't know where that comes from, even given that I can go nutty if I have to. But... Uh, I don't know. I, I, I really, I'm at a loss to sort of explain their perception of me in these terms. But, uh, you know, I just love them. And that's, that's, that's the sort of, you know, that's the only kind of thing that I put out towards them. And maybe it gets expressed differently for the different people. 
Yeah. It's beautiful. And speaking with Miriam about you, she just speaks so wonderfully of you. And I'm she sure knows, she wasn't banging it on for no, you. No, she knows so much about you and <laughs> your life and your history. It's yeah. really, really, really special. Mm. One of Jemima's words is dependable. It needs no explanation. Uh-huh. Um, I feel like maybe the qualities of being sort of dependable, which is trustworthy, reliable, mm. has that sort of thing faded in society do you think what does it mean to be a reliable person? It's you know what it's it's a little bit like what a good news service might be. You know, at that particular time of day, you press the button, there's the person. They're there, they're the same every day doing that job, you know, in a some sort of a meaningful way. I mean, that's what sort of reliable is, isn't it? You know, you're not going to get flaky if things get bad. You're going to hang in there. We'll work out the problems if they come up, that kind of thing. And I think Jemima, the youngest, oh, yeah, well, we have a great relationship as well. She's a, she's a funny little person. She's working oh, in Melbourne at the moment. You know, Poor thing. She's a cardiac physiologist, had, oh, has wow. been in London for the last five years and came here for the wedding that didn't happen, then had to stay and so started looking for a job here, which we're happy about. Want it back in the country, but Melbourne, maybe not so much. No, yeah. that's tricky when she's so close but yeah. you can't really catch up. That's tough. Mm. I love what you said about dependable and that reliability because that's true, a very beautiful time with what you do for work and perhaps part of the reason you have been so successful in your television career, one of the most enduring faces that Queensland has seen on their television screens oh, for many, no. many decades. Mm-hmm. I'm curious, is there anything left on your bucket list, be it professional, privately, anything you want to achieve still? Well, as I said, I never, I never had a goal. Um, I want to I perhaps just be a bit happier. Happier? Uh, I'm happy, but, you know, I want to have general ongoing day-to-day happiness, be able to laugh a bit more. You know, things get pretty serious it, with the work the that moment. we do. Yeah, and that can grind you a bit. And I've always been pretty handy at... Uh, I don't know, letting it wash over me to some extent in the sense that I'm not going to be reading and presenting a you know a truly horrendous story and start sobbing. That's never going to be what I would do. But goodness me, uh, you know, the stuff that we deal with is not good. Um, not that that's, that sounds like an excuse, but yeah, I'd like that. Live the rest of my life happily. I think probably throw the leg over the ride on and uh, mow off happily into the sunset. You are an avid gardener. You've got a lot of property. Well, no, love no Love the Gold Coast <laughs> and love a tractor, oh, I've yeah. been told. So yeah, you've got to love a tractor. <laughs> if you want to find Rod in his happy place, it's out there yep. mowing some grass. That's it. Well, I love that. Thank you so much, Rod. You are an absolute treasure and I really appreciate you taking the time to join me for my 30 minutes. Well, it's been my pleasure, Kendall, and very nice to see you in the flesh. 